Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Everybody, welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I am coming to you from Northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, I am visiting my parents, and I'm currently in my mother's kitchen recording this podcast while I look over at the door at my dog, Cooper. He is a Westie. He is adorable, and he has discovered a squirrel in the yard. So every couple of minutes, Cooper decides that he is going to growl, and I just don't have the patience to edit out that many growls. So if you guys hear the growls, I plan to leave them in this episode as I record it because I don't have that kind of time. And just giving you guys a heads up that he might start barking and uh, I have company today. I mean, what can you do? Um, I told you guys I wasn't going to be here last week because I was running the Chicago Marathon, which was just an eye-opening experience. So I kind of wanted to tell you guys about that. And I also wanted to tell you guys about this course called Positive Intelligence that I'm taking. And all of these things are are really cool and relevant to some of the work that I do um, as a coach, transformational coach, mindset coach, all all of that work. Um, I, I do a lot of work and I think that sometimes what the work really is gets lost because the deeper you go, the harder it is to visualize, hey, this really has to do with uh, losing weight and, and not drinking anymore and all that stuff. You know, we're, we're going deeper down the rabbit hole. But the thing is, as I go deeper down the rabbit hole, my purpose to serve all of you is to tell you guys what I'm learning. And while I can go, you know, to shallow waters once in a while to sort of talk about that stuff, I also can go into the deep waters. And that's kind of what I've been doing. And I really wanted to highlight this positive intelligence course first because it's so invaluable already. I'm in the second week and I'm learning a lot. And basically, this course was created by a gentleman, a Stanford MBA, based on his uh, his New York Times bestselling book. Uh, his name is Shirzad Shamin, which I'm going to um, butcher his name, Shirzad Shamin. Uh, wonderful guy. Like, I, he's been kind of directing this course since the beginning and doing a lot of different videos and delivering a lot of information. And I've listened to the audiobook that he wrote called Positive Intelligence. And it's really, really fascinating stuff. But what he basically says is that human beings create these saboteurs in their childhoods that do not serve them when they become adults. And those are just one instance in how we get in, get in our own way. Um, so here's, here's kind of from, from a coaching perspective. He talks about the judge. So I think we all, as, as coaches, talk about the judge. That's, that's a pretty standard thing. And the judge, judgment is a, a trait of being a human. Like you, if you did not have the judge and if you didn't have judgment, you'd be dead with inside of a day. You know, the judge keeps you alive. It keeps you from walking into traffic. It keeps you from, you know, touching a hot stove. It keeps you from 
running a red light. Like the judge does all of these things. Like we have this part of our brain that, like the amygdala, I believe that it is, but don't quote me because I'm not a medical professional, um, that, that makes these judgments all day long. It takes information that it knows and it makes judgments. And those judgments keep us alive. Now, when you're a kid, what happens is you are completely and utterly responsible, I mean, dependent rather on your parents for survival. Your parents were the people that provided the care to you. And even if you were parented the best way possible, there are all kinds of factors in childhood which are really, really scary. Like there's this line that I use that that I got from somewhere else, but it's applicable, that when a baby cries, it's because likely that is the worst day of that baby's life. I say that about my dog Cooper, actually. When we took him to the vet for the first time, he threw up because he got a vaccine and then had a very bad reaction to the vaccine. So we had to take him back to the animal hospital uh, that night, the emergency ER, to make sure that he wasn't going to die because he was like, he was just a little bit bigger than, than, you know, maybe your two hands put together. And I said to my mother, oh, I'm, you know, like after we always had this really special bond because I held Cooper throughout that whole experience. And I always said, I was there on the worst day of his life, you know, and I still say that because we have this special bond and I'm like, oh, Cooper, I was there on the worst day of your life. But it was true. Like that was the worst day of his life when he was a puppy. He had not had a traumatic experience of that sort by that point. So when a two-year-old is crying, that's probably because that's the worst day that that two-year-old has had so far. So even if you have the best parents in the world, your childhood is traumatic as hell just because holy shit, the world is scary. But most of us did not have perfect parents. Like most of us had parents that were flawed. And for a child, and this is what Shirzad writes about in the book, for a child to think of their parents as flawed when their parents are their primary method of survival, like you need your parents to to you don't take care of you or you're going to die like when you're a kid. So what you do is you create these, this judge that says, well, it's okay. Your parents are perfect. You're the one that's not worthy. Like you're the one that isn't, you know, that, that is less. Like you're an idiot. You're not good enough. You're all these things. That's where we, de- we develop all of that. All of that underlying feeling of not enoughness comes right from our childhood and all of us. This is real. So, okay, so we, we developed, we, we make saboteurs, which are like subsidiaries of the judge. And at the time when we're kids, they serve us. So for me, I am the controller hyper-rational. So what does that mean? Well, the hyper-rational, I'll give an example because I love the hyper-rational. Uh, that's a person who is just logical and analytical and has to know everything because as a child, I was intelligent. So to be intelligent was worthiness. Like if I could prove that I was intelligent, my parents would think that I was worthy. My teachers would think that I was worthy. Other people would think that I was worthy. As long as I was, quote, so smart, I was worthy. The same with the controller. The controller I developed as a child because I needed to make sure that my situation was safe because there's a lot of chaos in my home life. I have a brother with a disability. I think I told you guys all about that. And I've, I've said a lot of other things about my family that there were just a lot of dynamics that at the time for a child took a lot of focus and, and attention and, you know, emotional wellness was, really was not something that I was experiencing because my, the, my primary, the people that provided the pr- most primary care to me were otherwise distracted 
by more pressing needs. My brother had a lot of behaviors. Um, there was a lot of things going on. There were some, some monetary things going on. My mother was putting herself through school. Um, and she did that when my brothers were infants. And then she was working like a million jobs, a million hours a day. And these were all things that she had to do. But that took the focus off of me and my emotions and my needs. So what I did was I created the controller. And the controller was like, I don't have needs. Like, I'm fine. Um, if somebody's upset, like, fucking suck it up. Like, I'm fine. And I got this. And I'm okay. Well, you know, when... That, that was fine at seven years old and that got me through childhood and that got me through adolescence. But then one day I was 30 and that wasn't so attractive. In fact, it came off as arrogant and it came off as unfeeling and also it came off as angry. Like I, I appeared to a lot of people through my 20s and my early 30s as a very angry, I don't need nobody, fuck you, Go fuck yourself. How dare you be weak? How dare you cry? How dare you have emotions kind of person? Like that was me. Like you can't handle this situation. Like you can't handle your life. Like I was like that and it was ugly. But that was the that was something that I created to survive my childhood. So this is this is a long roundabout kind of way of describing what a saboteur is. I am kind of rare because in the group that I am in, um, the other people are different from me. There are quite a few pleasers. I'm not a pleaser. Uh, I had my actually uh, somebody that I know last night. I had them uh, take the assessment, and they are a pleaser. And it was so interesting because I, they they didn't hear about the saboteurs before, so we kind of talked about it, and uh, they found out that their number one is a pleaser. I'm like, I'm totally not a pleaser. Um, but this is it, this has been really cool. So this has been really cool to kind of get to know. But it's cool to get to know for a couple of reasons because it's not just about knowing about myself and doing the work then to try to catch myself when I'm going into these behaviors that don't serve me and also are off-putting to others and also can, you know, others might make my behaviors mean something about them that that's triggering. It's important to know about yourself, but it's also important to kind of see this in other people because it makes it easier to tolerate differences in personalities. And I'm going to give a great example of that. I went to Chicago with a very good friend of mine and he is a pleaser and he's a wonderful, wonderful man. He wants everyone to be happy. He wants to do the things that make people feel good, which is the most beautiful thing about him. He's beautiful, you know, and he doesn't want to make decisions because he doesn't want to make the wrong one. Like the last time that we went to Chicago, he chose our hotel. It was a great hotel. Okay, like it was fantastic. It was in an awesome neighborhood. I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was quaint. When we were running by like the area in the marathon, I, I was so excited because it wasn't like right by Millennium Park. So it was kind of, it was it was north of there. It was, um, it was just really it was, it made me feel more like a local and I was still drinking at the time. So we were, we were still drinking at the time. So afterward we went to bars that were more neighborhoody and we didn't feel so touristy and we didn't feel like all of that commercialism and, and we didn't have to wait to go to restaurants and it wasn't like just being in a big Times square. You know, I loved it. But to him, he felt like he made the wrong decision because it was far away from the start. So even though we had this enormously positive experience, he still felt like he could have done better in that decision because for him, he just wants everyone to be the most happy and he feels like whatever decision he makes, there would be a better one. And that's just him. It's such a kind quality about him. 
but it's not me. Like that's not my, that's not, that's not the way that I am. And that's fine. I mean, we're totally different people. We're totally different people. So most of the time I make, I make the decisions just because he's more comfortable if I make them. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. I like to make decisions. So I make the decisions. Cool. But then what happens when the decision maker gets tired of making the decisions? Then what? You know, like when I get tired of making decisions, then what? So like in August, I traveled with another controller. This is, this is kind of getting off topic, but we went to a wedding and at the end of the wedding, the other controller came up to me and he said, okay, I ordered an Uber and I ordered it because that way it'll be here right around the time the wedding is leaving. And then that way we'll have ordered it already when everybody else will just be ordering theirs and then we can just leave and it's great and we'll go back to the hotel and that's cool. And I said, great, that sounds wonderful. But he took the, the initiative to do that and not even ask me, like not even ask me if that was what he should do. He just just did it you know he just was like this is what we're doing and I'm like great and that was amazing because we were both controllers so when two controllers travel together one controller will you know if one controller gets tired the other controller will take over and that's that's kind of a good balance when a controller and a pleaser travel together if one controller if the controller gets tired of making the decisions all of a sudden the pleaser has to and it's like oh what do you mean I have to pick where we eat (laughs) you know so but because I have this knowledge about myself and about my friend it didn't become about oh Jesus why can't he just make decisions it was like okay I understand that I'm asking a lot of him right now to be able to decide this because he just wants to make sure that I'm happy and it, it made it a lot better than just if I was just like well I just don't understand why he can't just take control of this situation because he can but it's uncomfortable for him to do it because he wants me to do it because he wants to make sure that the decision is the one that I want the most. Does that make sense to you guys? I'm asking myself, but I'm also like asking you guys, even though you can't really respond to me at the moment. So it was really cool awareness. And it was, it was great awareness to be able to be going through this course in, in addition. But, but in addition to that situation in Chicago, I also ran into two other situations which were kind of similar um, having to do with conflicting saboteurs. And I, I'll tell you, like it's, I never thought in my life that I would ever have to say these words or that these words would even pop into my mind. Because I always just thought, I'm smart and this is great. Like, I'm smart, so I'm going to deliver knowledge to people. And I'm going to just absorb knowledge like a sponge. Like, the more knowledge that I can absorb, the the better it's going to be. I'm going to absorb all this knowledge. So I have a friend, and the friend, this friend of mine, I view as a complete sage. Like, there is nothing that he can say or do that I would see wrong. Like, I view this person as so... Like, I just put this person on a pedestal that's probably undeserved. But it's, it's really, like, somebody that I admire so much. But we're very good friends. But historically, we have gone head to head. Like, we have butted heads so many times. And it not, not, like, big, like, big things. But, like, sometimes, like, he would say things to me that were, like, little slaps here and there. Like, I remember one time I was... Um, 
reading Alan Wants, This Is It, and I was trying to tell him, like, oh, here, can you read this? And, like, just let me know what you think. And it was all about consciousness, and he's, like, studying consciousness. So I I was so excited about this passage that I read in This Is It, and I was so excited to talk about it because I was like, oh, I just want to tell you all of these things that I interpret Alan Wants to mean in this whatever. And I remember that he read it and then kind of made, like, a stupid comment about it. He was like, I don't understand any of that. It's all a bunch of hoopla or something something like that. Like, it was, it was a complete dismissal of what I had read and what I had shared and all of that. And I, I thought, oh, okay, like, that's fine. But that wasn't the first time it had happened. It had happened, like, a bunch of times. And it was like, I always felt like, why do you not think that I'm smart? Like, why, I'm just trying to, and I never, I never really understood it. I always thought, like, why do you always do that? Like, why do you dismiss me so much when I try to do this? And what I was doing, which I didn't really realize that I was doing because I didn't have this training at the time, is that what I was doing was my strategy for showing, for trying to have other people think that I'm worthy. And this is, I'm going to be like super transparent. Like I don't even, I don't even think that there's a point to not be transparent at this point. My strategy for other people thinking I'm worthy is, let me show you how much I know. Do you think I'm worthy now? Like, let me show you how much I know. I know all of this. Look, you talk about this. Look at all of the stuff that I know. And like the response wasn't, oh, you're worthy. You're so smart, Andy. Good job. You know, you're doing so good. That was not the response at all. The response was, oh, who cares? Fuck you. You know, like... And I never really got it. Like, I didn't really get it. But I was in Chicago and uh, I met with somebody that I had never met before, but we met on, we met in this online community. Um, we were, we were beta testers of this social audio app and we really, we really hit it off in a really short period of time. And I met with him on uh, the Monday after the Chicago Marathon. So what day would that have been? Probably October 11th. Uh, I think that that was the day. Oh, we could go today. Uh, October 11th. Uh, and we met and I, and he had uh, shared with me some feelings that he had that, that kind of stemmed back from his childhood um, about, about feeling not smart, about feeling being told he was stupid, about all of these things. And I, it made me kind of think about that because I had always been the person that was defending my intelligence, like always. I mean, I, I would go as far as to say that I was the person that called the other kids stupid and thought that that was perfectly acceptable because I was trying to show my worthiness because I wasn't worthy at home. You know, I wasn't getting my emotional needs met. And I was also kind of a weird kid and a fat kid. And so people were, you know, always making fun of me. But I was intelligent. So I was intelligent so I could defend that intelligence. I could, I could defend that. And if I defended that, I was worthy. I had to defend that at all costs. Like there was no way that I was allowed to not be intelligent. And if I felt stupid, I certainly couldn't tell anyone about it. I had to make sure that I displayed that I knew the most out of everybody in the room. There was nobody that could know more than me because I wouldn't be worthy if that was the case. 
never all the while bothering to think about what that did to anyone else because I was a child. So when you're a child, you certainly don't have an awareness that there are other people that are having experiences outside of you. In fact, most adults I know don't don't realize that. Like they don't fucking realize that people outside of them are having their own experiences. Like that are having experiences that are totally separate and are also rooted in this same survivalist structure that they created when they were kids. So it was very enlightening to me. And uh, we had a, we talked about a lot of other stuff. It definitely brought me to a place where I could see how the controller and the hyper-rational are definitely keeping me from having certain types of relationships. I mean, these are, these are things that I work on, and this is the, this is the daily work. So that is kind of getting off topic, but back to my friend that it kind of dismisses my shit. Um, we ended up in another situation um, relatively recently where I was just trying to, I, I don't remember what I was trying to do. I think I, I was trying to show that I was, you know, like show that I was smart, but also I was not willing to show weakness to him, which is another, another part of the controller. Like you don't, you don't show weakness. So between the trying to look smart and the not showing weakness, I was what I thought to be somebody that was acting okay. Like I was, I was doing well. I was doing what I was supposed to do. And apparently it was really, really triggering. And we've, we got to a place where we had to have the conversation. And I, I finally, you know, I, I was saying, I started to say like, I, I am just this way, like it's hard for me to be here. Like it's hard for me to show up. It's hard for me to, you know, like it's hard for me. Like this is hard for me. And it really, it really was just, it was just really profound because what ended up happening was I ended up explaining how, that I needed, that I needed people to, to think I'm intelligent for for me to feel worthy now that that's probably like nowadays like one of you guys says I seem stupid I'll be like all right like go fuck yourself I'll still believe I'm intelligent (laughs) but to demonstrate it is important like I'm not gonna come on this podcast and you know what I mean like I want to make sure that I'm delivering value it's like this undercurrent of like okay you gotta be smart to be worthy not but that's but it's not that I think that people who aren't intelligent aren't worthy. It's just my own judge, my own personal standard for myself, right? So I finally had to come out and say, you know, a lot of times I would say to you all of these things because I think so much of you, you're, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like, I think you're the sage. Like, I think that you are just the epitome of everything I want to be. And I say these things to you because I want you to pat me on the back and tell me, hey, you're doing a good job. And I think... You might make this mean that I think I'm better than you. And it was like this, it was like we just entered a whole new place. It was like we were in this dark room where the windows were dark. And then all of a sudden, they weren't anymore. And it was like I could see him and he could see me. And it didn't feel like we were trying to wear, you know, disguises I was just honest because I never realized before taking this this particular course that the way that I am was created. It wasn't I wasn't born that way. 
You know, I wasn't born the way that I am. I created it. And I created this personality so that I could be safe when I was young. And I didn't realize that at the same time when I was young and not having my emotional needs met by my family and things like that, that when I was calling other kids stupid because they were calling me fat, you know, or when I was calling other kids stupid because they were calling me weird, that was doing damage to those kids. And then, you know, like 40 years later, those kids are still fucked up because of the people like me. I mean, and it's, and it can be, and, and think of like any situation, you know, if you could just step outside of yourself, just step outside of yourself for like two seconds and realize it's so much bigger than you. Like everything that you're feeling, whenever you want to look at somebody and say, you're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right and your behavior is wrong and my behavior is right, what you're, that's judgment. Really, what you're saying is, I want you to behave in accordance of the, through the lens that I see the world. And this, this, is, this is vague. This is vague, right? Like we don't need to make this some big heavy shit. Like I'm not talking about abortions or vaccines or, or any of that big shit. I'm talking about choosing what restaurant you eat at. Like, oh, you should be able to choose the restaurant we eat at. I don't understand why you can't make a decision. Like that would be, if, if I had acted that way, that would have been me having an expectation of my friend to be able to do the shit I do and see the world my way. And my friend grew up in a whole other environment had way more siblings than me, had way different, different circumstances, had older parents. My parents were younger, you know, so my parents, you know, younger parents, I find that, you know, my friends that have had older parents throughout their lives, and this is just a sweeping generalization. It's not necessarily the law, but my friends that have had older parents tend to be more conservative about their emotions than my friends that had younger parents. My friends with younger parents, you know, they were it was just a whole different dynamic. So not only is the lens that you see the world created by you and not and, and based on the circumstances that you had in childhood, but also do not forget that there are all kinds of other factors that go into play. For example, where, where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? How old was your, was your mom? Was your mom 22 or 40? It makes a difference. Like you might not think it does, but it does. You know, this is the sociologist in me. I had a, a really good Instagram live talk. I want to, I really want to talk about this here, even though I talked about it on Instagram live about the fallacy of the American education system. And I, I would love for you guys to just stick around while I do this because it's, I'm going to try to make it quick, but it's really that a lot of people don't understand that another thing about their behavior and how they are is tied to the fact that they grow, grew up in a specific geographic location. And I'm just going to use Western society as a whole, American society specifically. And in American society, well, this is where this all came from. My lowest ranking saboteur on the saboteur assessment is the hyperachiever. So I do not care about status in any way. Uh, other people seeing me as successful does not matter. Like, I don't, I don't care about any of that. Like, none of that matters to me at all. Like, not even a little bit. So I, I told this to my mom. I said, Mom, you know, I, I, I took the saboteur test assessment and this hyperachiever is my lowest ranking one. And she said, well, you've always been an underachiever. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, when you were in elementary school, you – took tests and you'd only answer as many questions as you needed right to pass the test. And then you'd stop answering. And I was like, 
and she said, and I asked you why you did that. And you said, well, mom, I know the answers. I don't need to prove to anybody. I just answer the ones, you know, until I know how many I have right to pass. And then I stop answering. And she also told me, and I have, I had blocked this out, but I, now I remember it vaguely, told me that when I was a senior in high school, I stopped dressing for phys ed. And she said, Andrea, why, why did you, I, I got a call, you know, that you, you're not dressing for phys ed. Why'd you stop dressing for phys ed? And I said, mom, I dressed for phys ed and I took as many phys ed classes as I needed to pass. I'm not doing it anymore. And my stepfather said to me, yeah, you, you, I remember the phys ed thing. And he's like, you, you told the teacher you weren't doing it anymore. And he said to me, you did as much as you had to do, the minimum that you had to do to advance. And that was all you did. And, and the reason that, that I did this, and now that I think about it, and as I think back, it seems like I was an underachiever. But I was achieving in my sense of being a controller and a hyper-rational. That's, that's not here nor there. The reason that I did the things that I did was because in Western society, that's what we're taught. We're taught, okay, you complete, you, you don't, you do a process, even if you don't really care for it, you learn a curriculum, you test it on it, you pass, and then you advance. And you continue to do this until you get, you know, you get shuffled out of, you know, secondary education into higher education. And then you continue that on a, to a career path. And then you finally get put into a slot. And in that slot, you exist to move the motor of the society. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to work for a corporation, but it does mean that you work in conjunction with the society to move the society forward. And there is no, at any point in Western society, in secondary education, high school education, whatever kind of, you know, education that is funded by the public, um, are you going to ever get instructions to be creative? Never is that where the focus lies. What are you passionate about? What makes you light up? What are you, what, where is your creativity lie? What are you curious? I'm gonna use the word curious very slowly and deliberately. What are you curious about? Never, never in, in, my, in my high school education did I receive that. All I was told was, okay, you just are going to climb the ladder, climb the ladder. We're always given this metaphor of a ladder thinking that there is a final destination of a place where we will eventually arrive. And when we arrive, fulfillment will happen. And we're never taught that there is no end point, there is no finish line, and that unless you love the process, your life is not going to be happy. And unless you love yourself, you are not going to be happy. But we're never taught that. We're always taught, once you get there, you're going to be happy. So when I was in high school, I just thought, okay, well, if I just have to con complete milestones until I eventually get there, well, what the fuck? Well, why am I going to do all this shit I don't really want to do so that I could just get there? I mean, nobody told me that if I participated in phys ed every day that it would help me emotionally, intellectually, and in creativity, like creatively. Like, I never even knew who God was until I ran long distances. I know that you guys are going to be like, what? That's the way I talked to God. I didn't even have God when I was in high school. My, my family, I come from an atheist family. I wasn't raised with religion, you know, so I didn't, I didn't even have that. I never even understood the benefits of, of sports. It never, ever settled with me because no one ever taught me that. No one ever taught me how important the rigor of incorporating that into my day and being able to have that as a sacred piece of my routine was going to advance me in life. I never knew it. 
I never knew it. And now I will proudly say, and I don't know, I mean, people might be like, fuck you, Andy. But like, I'm, I don't know anybody else that I went to high school with that runs marathons. I'm pretty sure I'm in, you know, I'm in superior physical shape to a good percentage of the people. And the reason that I'm saying that is because of what I do. I mean, I just set a marathon PR in 75 degree heat. You know, like this is something that just happened to me at 36 after smoking for 18 years. Like this is something that, that is me because I learned to fall in love with a process. And I was not taught that in high school. I was not taught that in any of my classes. So a lot of times this is what happens is people will eventually get filed into that eventual point of a career and they'll be like, I'm so unhappy. I don't know what to do. Why? This was supposed to be the end point. This was supposed to be the happiness factor. And it's like, no, it's not because you never fell in love with the process. You never learned that the joy is in the daily and that the current present moment is all that we have. So to, to just complete, you know, arbitrary things over and over to be tested in advance, it's just dumb. It's completely dumb. So this is kind of why you have to take into account the lens that you're looking at the world and the Western lens, Western education, American public high school provided you a certain lens to see the world. When you are seeing the world through that lens, you can't assume that everything that you see is right, nor can anyone else. Nor can anyone else. This is why to even, to stand up and say, I'm the most correct, is just total bullshit. I only know the world through the lens that I see. That you could also try to see the world through other lenses. And that's where you get closer to your true essence. You know, I can start seeing the world through people who have different behaviors than I do. I can start seeing the world through people that are from different cultures than I am, of different races than I am, of different ethnicities than I am. And all of that is valid and makes sense because it, it, because that, because it's the human experience. You know, living is really, really cool. And to be able to live your life and not just see it through your eyes will enhance everything that happens. Your friendships will get richer because you'll understand that you don't need a a group of friends that are exactly like you. What you need is a group of friends who are willing to understand who you are. And you need to understand who they are. Like you need to understand who they are and what makes them the way that they are if you want to have the most fulfilling relationship with them. And the thing is, those relationships are not conditional. You don't need each other to grow. You'll grow independently. But it's really nice when you can grow alongside of somebody. Like that's love. That's beautiful love. Like I see you. I see you for everything that you are. And you see me for everything I am. And we love each other anyway. Like we love each other deeply. That's, that's, that's it. That's it right there. That deep, deep love that comes from true understanding of one another. And I, I, I'm grateful for every single person in my life that I have that with. All of the, the people that are, are so, so dear to me. I, I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for the, the fact that they will at least try to approach me without judgment. And I will at least try to do the same for them. That's all I can really ask.
So we do have the judge, guys. The judge is useful. The judge keeps us from getting pancaked, walking across, you know, you don't walk on an interstate in front of a, a semi-truck. Like, you don't do that. You don't touch the hot stove. You're not going to go and eat arsenic. This, the judge is keeping you alive. The judge will also probably, you know, keep you from doing even more aggressive things than that. And the judge will also keep you, you know, safe from, from different circumstances. It's very true. And so we need the judge. But when the judge isn't serving us and the judge is showing up in ways that's making us feel triggered or upset with others, we have to look and we have to turn it around. And we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, well, I'm having the experience of I am upset because, so what is it about me that I need to look at? Not, it's not what, what, what they're doing. It had nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them at all. And that is, that is deeper stuff. So that's some of the deeper work that I do um, with my clients. And uh, if you guys want to have uh, a conversation about this, I send me an email, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. Um, I, I will tell you, I know that a lot of people probably have anxiety about sending me an email. I know, the judge, right? The judge. The judge is telling you that what you have to say isn't worthy, that what you have to say to me, I will think is stupid, that it's too long, that it's too short, that you don't know how to write well, you know, all this stuff. That's your judge, by the way. The judge judges you and the judge judges others. So that's the judge saying to you all those things. I promise you, I'm not going to think those things. And I'm not going to write you something that sounds like rejection or dismissal. Like if you write an email to me about how, you know, your marriage is falling apart or how, you know, you feel you're struggling with your body or how you're struggling with a memory from childhood, I'm not going to say to you, go fuck yourself. That's so stupid. I'm going to say to you, okay, let's talk about it because we need to do this. We need to talk about it and we need to get you know, we need help to be able to hold someone to hold the mirror so you can see where it's fuzzy. And that's important. And that's something that I do with clients. And that's something that I would like to do for you. So please don't have anxiety over what my response would be or how my response is going to be. My response is going to be nothing but loving to you. So if that is a hang up that you're having because your judge is telling you that you're not worthy, please just know that that is not the case. I have to tell you that that is not the case. You have to know that. Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. Or you can get on my email list on my website, getthefuckoff.com. I do send an email to my subscribers once a week, give you kind of an idea of what coaching is like with me and some things that, you know, that you can expect. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of concepts that are a little bit deeper, but I also talk about some, you know, not so deep stuff. I mean, sometimes we talk about behaviors. Sometimes I talk about the weather. I mean, you know, whatever I feel in that day. Not usually the weather because that's my least favorite uh, my least favorite variety of conversation, but I was, you know, using that for a little bit of amusement. But no, I, I definitely, I write once a week. I would love to have all of you guys on my email list and you guys can kind of check that out. And uh, otherwise, I'll be back next week with another episode of the Get the Fuck Off podcast, everybody. It is so nice to have you back here. And uh, I hope to see you back here really, really soon. Just take care of yourselves. Um, we'll see you next time. Bye.